Recovery Elevator, episode 258. But the beautiful thing that I've realized is that I'm never, ever going to do this perfect. I'm never, I'm no angel, no saint, but I have the rest of my life to work on it. Progress, not perfection. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Scott. He's 48 years old. He's from Denver, Colorado, and he took his last drink on December 3rd, 2018. In his interview, he talks about how he recognized when he's drinking, he has no stop button. I know that resonated with me. You guys are going to love the interview. Right now. On January 27th, we are right in the middle of our Asia Adventure alcohol-free sober travel trip. And according to our itinerary, today we are checking out one of the world's most impressive archaeological sites, Angkor Wat in Cambodia. I record these episodes a couple weeks in advance, so I could be wrong on this one, but I've got a feeling we are having a blast and building connections that will last a lifetime. Have you tried to quit drinking but didn't get the results you were hoping for? Well, I know why. Accountability. On January 1st, we launched our latest accountability group called Cafe RE Up, and it's filling up fast with rock stars who are creating a life without alcohol. For the remaining days of January, we'll be adding all registrations into Cafe RE Up. Whether you're looking to ditch the booze for a month, a year, or longer, we have a spot for you and I want to see you there. Use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Okay, let's get started. I got the idea for this episode when I came across a meme, one of the best parts of the internet, with the acronym SOBER. Son of a bitch, everything is real. I then decided to couple this episode with an article that was sent my way titled, Addiction Isn't a Sin, But an Adaptation, written by a gal named Anna Austin Ronan, who talks about her struggles with her addiction to nicotine and smoking. You can find a link to this article in the episode 258 show notes. Thank you, Carrie Mack, for doing such an awesome job with these show notes for over a year. So in the article, her description of what addiction is is so spot on and accurately portrays why going face-to-face with an addiction can be so trying. It's because, son of a bitch, life gets real. We no longer are turning the volume knob down on certain aspects in life. When we decide to quit drinking, smoking, or anything else we can't seem to get enough of and never delivers what the addicted brain promises, we voluntarily give up control of how we feel. There's that word, control. Here's a fun drinking game. And hey, this is with LaCroix, everybody. Please calm down. A fun drinking game would be every time you hear the word control at an AA meeting to take a drink. This is a paramount concept in recovery. Control. Or giving up control, shall we say. I mean, on the hierarchy of concepts, this is near the top. Right below the ultimate concept, which can never be academically or philosophically explained, which is the now, or the power of the present moment. The reason this holy grail of all topics can never be explained or thought about is the moment you think about this concept, you've already passed it. 
In fact, an episode that I've been wanting to do for quite some time is how every topic in recovery that I've come across, and I mean every single one, all stem from this core teaching, the present moment. But that isn't for today. It will be a podcast episode for the future. Okay, before we dive into this article, one more thing on control. I have discovered the two main sources of unhappiness. Get your notepad and pen ready. Number one, not getting what we want. Number two, getting what we want. All of it has underpinnings to control. Okay, let's explore this article. This is how Anna Austin Ronan describes addiction. She says, If I am addicted, and I am, then something in my psyche is damaged and is using nicotine to soothe the pain of its unmet needs. She continues, Let me be clear, I feel no contempt for addicts. Addiction is not a sin. It's an adaptation. Many of us become addicted to survive, usually in the face of physical or emotional pain and trauma. Addiction is a whirlpool we get caught in trying to clean our wounds in the wrong water. The act of soothing the pain was necessary to our survival, and so we kept doing it. There is no evil in that. It just is. So my take on that, you did what was needed to survive, to raise a family, to fly under the radar, to not be hit, abused, verbally harassed. You adapted to your environment, and alcohol was a powerful tool for a time. That time is coming to an end or is already past. She continues, when I say that healthy people aren't addicted, what I mean is that addiction lives in the places where we are unhealed, where it perpetuates and exacerbates the damage. Addiction is a warped adaptation to some chronic pain or injury. It is the opposite of healing. From opioids to fossil fuels, we are a society consumed with addiction continuously trying to fill the void and only ever expanding it. An addiction so often begins as simple self-medication or even prescribed medication to alleviate pain that explodes into a wildfire in the psyche, sacrificing everything to its burn until the addiction is all that's left. Addiction becomes its own injury to heal. Here's my take. I mention this in my book, Addictions represent part of our personalities that are in the most need of deep healing. So much healing that without alcohol, or for this gal, it's a cigarette or nicotine, that that part of the psyche screams. Sometimes, this can be a low hum in the background, but other occasions, it's as if the skin were just ripped off part of the body, and physical restraints probably wouldn't or couldn't prevent one from drinking or smoking or whatever the action is. I love how she says an addiction becomes its own injury to heal. For the most part, I agree with this, and my addition is, the body is spotlighting exactly what part of the psyche needs addressing and in what order. It's actually not malfunctioning. The body is functioning perfectly. It's telling you exactly where to go. You know where you're triggered. In fact, it's not a craving for alcohol, but a desire to squash those feelings of loneliness, shame, remorse, unworthiness, low self-esteem, fear of standing out, fear of success, fear of asking for help, fear of love. We then reach for alcohol to pacify these fears. Back to the article. She then says, 
I heard somewhere that the truth of addiction is that it's fundamentally an inability to sit alone, by yourself, in an empty room. When confronted with emptiness and nothingness, the void must be filled with something, and that something can become compulsive to the point of destructiveness. My take is Pima Chodron says in her book, When Things Fall Apart, it's when the edge of the present moment becomes just a little too sharp that it starts to cut, and this is when an addiction can take hold. It's when we are constantly hoping for the current life experience to be different. Refer to episode 243 for more on this pickle of hope. It's this perpetual discomfort of the moment we currently find ourselves in that lead us to the full bottle of wine at night. Or for me, the full box of wine and two beers in the morning right around 6.30 a.m. before going back to bed when I used to own the bar in Spain when I was age 24, 25, and 26. Thank good heavens that part of my life is behind me, and hopefully forever. So beautifully said, Anna Austin Ronan. And again, you can find a link to this article in the episode 258 show notes or on the recoveryelevator.com website. So life will get loud when you quit drinking, but this is where we must go. And this excess of noise, this loudness, this cacophony is temporary and it will begin to soften the longer you go away from alcohol. Trust me on this. I'm not asking you to do anything I haven't done myself. And I've got good news. Nothing is fundamentally wrong with you. You don't have an incurable disease, but a part of you is saying, Yo, Susan, Mike, Tim, Angela, we need some healing in this aspect of our life. More good news. I've met thousands who have healed these wounded aspects of their lives, and so can you. In fact, tomorrow... We've got a recovery elevator meetup at Bondi Beach in Sydney, Australia, and I can't wait to personally meet several who have successfully healed these parts of the psyche. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. Like always, I enjoyed putting it together. I'd like to talk to you for a second about Care Of. Care Of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with a customized vitamin plan that helps you feel your best today and supports you long term. Set a resolution you'll actually keep. Make 2020 the year to prioritize you and commit to staying on top of your health. Care Of's quiz helps you find the vitamins and powders that will support your specific health goals this year, like improving your fitness routine or managing stress. Care Of is focused on the quality, science, and research that goes into each of their products and recommendations. Health made easy thanks to Care Of's online quiz. Take a short online quiz and answer some questions about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle, and Care Of will recommend a list of vitamins and supplements specifically for your health needs and goals. The vitamin aisle can be confusing. It's hard to know what you need and where to start. I like Care Of because their online quiz was super fun and easy. I've recently been working on eliminating stress in my life, and their vitamins have helped with this goal. For 50% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the code ELEVATOR50. That's ELEVATOR50. Again, for 50% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the code ELEVATOR50. ELEVATOR50. Scott, how are you? I'm good, Paul. How are you? Hey, man. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Let's get right into this. When was your last drink? Last drink was December 2nd of 2018 at about 11:45 p.m. 
My sobriety date is December 3rd, 2018. Yeah, man. You've got a good chunk of time away from alcohol. How's it feel, Scott? Uh, I feel better than I have in a long, long time right now. One of my favorite podcasts of yours, your friend Dusty, he said that everything in his life has gotten better in recovery, and he is absolutely right. Episode 204 interviewed uh, one of my best friends in Bozeman named Dusty. And I was chatting with Dusty the other day, Scott, and I think we're to make this an annual interview every day or on the first of every year. We're going to do our, uh, our interview. And, and Scott, the three of us might have a reunion in Asia on the Recovery Elevator Asia Adventure Trip. I'm doing my best to convince yes. Dusty to go. And, and you've signed up for that trip, right? What, uh, what about that trip are you looking forward to? You know, I have never been to Asia, so of course I'm looking forward to that. I travel a bit, but not a bunch. So just traveling period is going to be fun. And a customer of mine, I told him I was going there and he said his brother works down there, just opened a bed and breakfast. And he asked who I was going with. And I said, oh, recovery group. And he said, recovery from what? And I said, uh, alcohol, addiction. And he's like, oh, man, you don't want to go to Thailand. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I said, I think I'll be fine. And he said he was glad that I'm going with the recovery group because I guess maybe it's a little crazy in Thailand. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing the crazy and being sober. Yeah, that that's funny, right? And it's a common narrative on the podcast. It's like, you don't know what it's like to grow up in Australia, Wisconsin, yeah. California, Thailand, anywhere on the planet. It's everywhere. But I have right. no doubt in my mind, we get a collective group of individuals who all want to ditch the booze. The magic's going to happen. And Scott, we right now, I think we got like 25. And actually, this interview, I'm strategically going to drop this interview when you and I are both in Thailand. And I'm, awesome. I'm hoping we're going to get a big group listening party. Everybody's going to be there. We'll be on a bus listening to your interview on the podcast <laughs> while we're going from like National Park to National Park uh, or the border crossing into Cambodia. It's going to be it's going to be a wonderful experience. And, and listeners, I've had the pleasure of meeting Scott in person. We had um, our RE Live event in Nashville this past February. Met Scott for the first time there. And then I met Scott in Bozeman. And everybody has an empowering, inspiring, incredible story and journey. But, but I heard snippets of Scott's and I said, wow, I got to get... I got to get Scott on this podcast because he has faced some adversity. Again, we all face adversity, but he's faced some that, 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 normal, that normally we don't face in life. He, he, right before I hit record, I was like, you ready to do this, Scott? And he's like, yeah, man, I'm so nervous. But uh, as, as, I, as I heard before from a podcast, if, 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 if it scares you, that's probably where you need to go. <laughs> and uh, we're going to cover the panel before we even get to your story. Uh, so we had this panel at the Bozeman retreat this past August, and I'm looking at the set of names and Scott is a quiet, quiet guy. He's shy. He's timid. He's <laughs> reserved. And I went down the list and we had so many male rock stars at the, at the, at the retreat that really any of them could have been on the panel. But for some reason, the name Scott just kept popping out and it was like, Scott, well, okay, you got to do this. And I went up and approached Scott and you, you, all the color went out of your face. You were absolutely <laughs> terrified to sit up there in front of 60 or 70 people and be on this panel, but you did it. And while I was watching this, this workshop, which was the panel, I almost saw that like this whole, like all 70 people were there for you. Like you were knocking the questions out of the park, but this was almost like a workshop for you to like blast through some major fear and 
intrepidations and you were incredible. But let me get your side of the story with this panel. You know, I, I agreed with you to do the panel. And when I did that, I just, I wanted to say yes, no matter what you asked me. So I wasn't really thinking about what I said yes to. And then I, walk, <laughs> I was walking away from you and I had the worst fear of my whole life realizing what I had just agreed to. And then later that day, you told me who was going to be on the panel and I, the fear all over again, because there was, you know, some of my heroes were up on that stage and for about 10 seconds, it was probably the scariest thing I've done in my life for a long time. But after that, it just, I, I felt this connection with people that, you know, you say it all the time, the opposite of addiction is connection. And I felt some of the biggest, best connection of my life during that panel. Afterwards, I went to my car and I called my son and I cried for a while because it was ah, so emotional and such a good thing. And, and like you said, it was a real breakthrough for me. Uh, I am definitely shy, reserved you know, and that was tough. Whenever I look up and 70 pairs of eyes are looking at me, I want to run far fast. <laughs> so just sitting there, sitting next to Trisha and Odette on either side of me, I was like, oh my God, what am I doing up here? And it was just amazing. And I really appreciate you asking me to do that because it was a huge step for me in recovery. And you know, we all help each other down this path. And those 70 people helped me so much. And that whole re that whole retreat, I drove back to Denver. And I don't know how else to say it, higher than I've ever been in my life. And it was without drugs or alcohol. So, yeah, I didn't know exactly why, but I knew you had to be on that panel. And, and talk to us about what you're doing now, like you're chairing meetings. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I was going to wait to chair meetings until I had a year under my belt. But one day, nobody, the chair didn't show. And one of my favorite ladies there kind of pushed me up into the chair seat. And, you know, it was an easy meeting to chair. It was a book study. So all we really do is read. You don't have to bring a topic. But after that, one of my favorite old guys said how good it was and said I needed to be chairing more meetings. So now I do it once a week. Today I did it this morning. And, you know, I try to go almost every day at 730 in the morning. And it's my morning medicine. And I am fortunate that, you know, a 15-minute drive from my house is a great clubhouse, a great meeting, some great people. You know, I've been to some meetings that I didn't think were so great, but I am gifted to have that every morning. And it puts me in such a good spot for the day. I mean, it's my morning medicine and I love, I love doing, I've met so many people there. I got my first 12 step call. I'm kind of this guy's mini sponsor that's new to our, to our program. He might ask me to sponsor him and I'll probably say yes, but right now we're just, I'm his silent sponsor if you will and it feels so good yeah scott i'm gonna make one more comment on the panel and then we're gonna dive into some background about yourself and your story 
But like I said, listeners, I knew Scott had to be on the panel. You were terrified. The color left your face when I asked you. And like you said, there was, there's, there was a sobriety rock star team up there on the panel, people that are leaders in their field, podcast hosts, et cetera. And somebody asked a question. I forget exactly what it was, but it was like dead silence, even myself, right? Like I wasn't on the panel, but I was internally processing the questions. I'm like, oh, this is how I would answer that. And listeners, this question got asked and it was just like, ooh, right? Even I was like, ooh, I'm not even too sure how I would, I would answer that one. And Scott puts his hand out and he's like, guys, I got this one. And you just knocked the question out of the park. I'm like, boom. You took some big steps forward that day on your journey, and it was so fun to be part of it. Okay, Scott, here we go. Give listeners background about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age. Do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? We're 10 minutes in this interview. We're just hitting this question. I love it. Ha. All right. My name's Scott. I am 48. I was born, raised, and currently reside in Denver, Colorado. I am a bicycle mechanic. I have been one for almost 25 years of my life. I, for fun, I like to ride bicycles, of course. I like to exercise, CrossFit, while well, I try, I'm 48. CrossFit is hurting me, maybe, more than it's helping me. But again, the CrossFit has that community and connection, and that's, where, that's the reason I like it. And I like my dogs. Of course, hanging out with my doggies, and their names are Willie and Waylon, and they're my best friends. So, yeah. What else did you ask me? I you, think you knocked it all out of the park. You got it. You got it. And Scott, give listeners a background with your journey. And I understand that you were alcohol free from 2004 to 2013. And I really want to focus on the time from December 3rd on, so 2018 on, because you're doing some really cool stuff in your recovery portfolio. But give listeners background about your story. Um, when did you first realize that uh, that alcohol was becoming a problem? What, what led you into almost a decade of alcohol-free life? What happened after that? Um, I understand um, your dad committed suicide as well, as well in 2016. So um, get us up to speed. So I'll try to keep this brief. You know, I, in junior high, high school, was looking for a friend. And alcohol and, and pot became that friend. And, you know, I'm, as you know, I'm shy. I'm socially awkward. That kind of helped with that. But in recovery, I think about it. And maybe it just made me more socially awkward. Who knows? But anyways, that's why I started drinking. And in, you know, short time, in a couple of years, I got two DUIs and nine years later, I got a third DUI and I have no stop button. I have a kick-ass start button. I can start drinking and using and I just don't stop. I, I like to be buzzed, I guess. And I did, excuse me. And... After my third DUI, I lost my license for five years, and that was definitely one of my bottoms when the judge said, your license is suspended for five years. And when was that? How old were you, Scott? That was in 02. So I'm bad at math. 15 years ago, I was early 30s. And, you know, I, at that time, my son was born in 2002 also, 
and the first year of his life, I was his stay-at-home dad. That was one of the best jobs I've ever had. And I was using at the same time. And me and his mom were in a pretty tumultuous relationship. And at one point when he was about a year, almost two, I moved out of that house and back in with my mom of all places. And, you know, I had heard the word rehab a bunch of times from her, from my mom, from my sister, my dad. I just kept hearing the word rehab echo in my head. And one day in January 2004, I decided to go to rehab. Well, I called them on the, th on I think the second, and I called three places. The first two weren't very friendly. I didn't really connect. The third, a gentleman I connected with on the phone, he was really friendly, and he said, come on up tonight, we have a bed. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait. <laughs> Pump the I'm, brakes, I'm, buddy. I'm, Just making calls. I, I, I still have some drugs and alcohol to do here. And he said, all right, tomorrow morning. And I was like, oh, sure. And so right after that phone call, I went right to the liquor store and bought an 18-pack, came back drank all that that day, did all the drugs I had, and my ex drove me to rehab that morning, and I cried the whole way up to rehab. It was the scariest drive of my life. It was in Estes Park, Colorado, at a place called Harmony, a beautiful place. And, you know, I did the rehab. It was really good. I learned a lot about myself there. And I drove, you know, 28 days. And she drove me back to Denver after that, and I cried the whole way. <laughs> <Drive back. laughs> the, the second scariest drive of my life. And, you know, I immediately immersed myself into recovery. We had aftercare meetings. We had, I did 90 and 90. I did over 90 and 90. And I found a good AA cl club, and I started going there regularly. Well, in 2005, I was cleaning a family member's house and I found a vial of cocaine and within seconds I had it lined up and up my nose uh, without even thinking about it and then I was terrified and hurt and disappointed and it was a terrible thing but it was great also because it reminded me how powerful relapse is how little control I had at one year and a couple weeks how, you know, I like to think of my addiction as a bear on my back and he's asleep. And if I poke that guy, how dangerous he is. So after that relapse, I did not have any more relapses. I kept going to meetings. I had a sponsor. I was in contact him with him. I kind of did the steps, but not really. And in about at about 2008, I said the three most dangerous words that an addict or alcoholic can say, and that is, I got this, and quit going to AA. I quit calling my sponsor. I just decided to rely on the finite resource of willpower, which is doomsday, uh, for me especially. So it sounds like you kind of left your tribe, the community, the support system, right? Whether it's Absolutely. AA or, or anyone else who's walking the journey with you, you're like, you know what? I got this. Let me see how it's like on my own. Absolutely. Okay. And back then, back then it really was only AA or books. I mean, there was no cool podcast like yourselves or 
20 other good ones and you know and yeah so absolutely left my tribe and the longer i stayed away from that tribe the more empty my recovery toolbox got and in 2012 i got my first house and i had back-to-back shoulder surgeries when i got my first house i thought it was it would be cool for me to drink na beers on my porch and because that's what you do when you have a house and a porch and i thought that would be safe with the back-to-back shoulder surgeries i don't like pain pills very much and marijuana started to blow up in denver and i figured ah i'll just smoke a little weed for the pain but i won't drink you know i'll just stick to the na's in october of 2013 my father got in a really bad bicycle accident we were on a trip in san diego and he smashed his face up really good broke his jaw broke his nose broke his cheek orbital bone all sorts of stuff in his face and it was the scariest time of my life and i was holding my dad in my arms he was bleeding i didn't know if he was going to survive this accident he hit his head and face really hard on the pavement and on the way to the hospital in the ambulance i didn't know where i was i was in san diego i noticed that there was a liquor store across the street when we pulled into the emergency room driveway and larry that's who i call my unconscious mind larry said you are going to that liquor store today and you're gonna drink and so we went in the hospital my dad got settled in his bed and no sooner than he got settled i was on my way to that liquor store and with no regard to you know nine and a half years of alcohol free life uh my my sobriety toolbox was completely empty i had no defense uh trauma happened and that's what i did i got drunk and that was definitely my biggest bottom of this of my life it was reintroducing alcohol to my life because everybody i knew knew that i didn't drink pretty much and so when i had to reintroduce the fact that i was drinking again just seeing the look in everybody's eyes was soul crushing yeah but but scott this is kind of how i see it too right you're alcohol free for a good chunk of time there and your dad has an accident, you went through some major trauma, just like your father did at the same time. You're in an incredible amount of pain, ambulance ride to a hospital in a different state, completely disoriented, life hits you hard. There's an unconscious program called Larry that went back to what worked, right? And you were in a lot of pain and and you drank. And I don't know, it's it's not ideal, but I, I can't fault you for that, Scott. And I hope, you know, you're not beating yourself up too much for that. Does that make sense? Well, I'm not beating myself up for that today, but then I was absolutely beating myself. Gotcha. Absolutely. And, you know, had I been practicing recovery, maybe that accident would have been different. You know, I will never know that, but I was, I was relying on willpower and that shows you how strong willpower is. And, you know, I'm mentioning all this stuff. I want to reinforce the fact that this is my journey I'm talking about and this is what works for me and no alcoholic or addict recovers like another one everybody has a different journey so anything I say you know has to do with my recovery and so I was the second that bottle 
hit my lips, I was on, it was on. And, you know, I, I went back to Denver after a couple weeks staying with my dad. And like I said, I was completely ashamed of drinking and I tried to hide it at first. So I instituted rules, of course. My first rule was I was only going to drink one glass of whiskey at night when I got home from work. And that worked for maybe a week or two. But that one one glass, you know, became a real big glass after a while. Sure. After that, it became a real big glass and a beer sidecar. So how long did it take for the progression to ramp up to oh shit status? I'd say a month or two, you know, maybe, maybe a half a year. Gotcha. So it's 2013. You're putting rules in place that last about a week. It ramps up fast a month or two. It goes on for another five years to 2018. Yeah. Fill in, fill in the gap. So my dad never really recovered from that accident. He got multiple surgeries. None of them were successful. He was on all sorts of opiates. He would drink, you know, opiates for pain. He would drink also at night. He was in a very bad spot, very sad. On November 22nd, 27th of 2016, my father committed suicide. Oh, gosh. And I was already digging to a new low, but then I threw down the shovel and I grabbed a bulldozer. And (laughs) I couldn't drink or use enough. Sure. And... And, you know, I, like I said, I have no stop button. I was drinking every day, sometimes in the morning. I was the boss at work, so a lot of mornings I'd wake up so hungover. I'd take a few belts of whiskey and then go to work. And, you know, I just couldn't stop using. I was in so much grief because, you know, I was leading the bicycle ride that my dad got in an accident in. And I sort of blame myself for his accident. And not sort of, I really did. And so that, of course, needed to be numbed away every day. You know, I I, I no longer even had a choice whether I was going to drink or use every day. That choice was already made for me. It was when and how much, like right away when I woke up or could I wait until I got off of work? But either way, I was drinking and using every day. So I started seeing a therapist after a suicide and we had discussed that maybe drugs and alcohol were a problem in my life. And of course I lied to her. I never really told her how much I was drinking or using. But towards the end of 2018, my body started feeling like shit. My stomach, primarily my throat, and of course my heart and my mind. I just felt like shit every day. No real desire to live anymore because You know, my dad committed suicide, so I I didn't really want to commit suicide, but the funny thing was I was committing suicide. It was slow suicide with alcohol. I was pouring so much whiskey into my body that it's amazing that nothing bad did, did happen or I didn't break something inside of me. So I mentioned to my therapist, hey, I know rehab is successful. I've been there. I don't really have 28 days to burn. Do you know of another way that I can quit drinking? And she turned me on to the doctor there. And he said, yes, we can do it with meds. And he prescribed me a benzodiazepine. That was the first drug he, he prescribed me. 
And that was, he, he handed that to me and he said, if you start taking this, you can no longer drink. This is going to be your alcohol. So I took it home, set it on my nightstand and stared at it for a couple weeks. I was like, man, how am I going to quit drinking? It's my best friend, like I said earlier. And finally, I don't know why. Well, I was listening to your podcast at this time uh, because I was very sober curious, if you if you will. And I knew I wanted to get back to where I was because I knew I could do it. And one night I was thinking, it was December 2nd, I was really drunk. And I was thinking, hey, tomorrow's December 3rd. 12, 3, 1, 2, 3. That's a great number sequence. Easy as 1, 2, 3. I'm going to do it. So I had finished all the alcohol I had and woke up on December 3rd, took that first benzo, and that was my last drink. And I did the benzos for about 15 days, and then he switched me to Celexa. The benzos were for withdrawal and seizure prevention. The Celexa was for cravings, and I took that for a couple of weeks, but it was really, it really amped me up, and I didn't like that, so I asked if there was an alternative to that, and he prescribed me naltrexone, mm-hmm. and I took naltrexone until July 12th. I quit that, and it worked good. I don't know if it was just a placebo kind of thing, or, you know, I think it blocks the opiate receptors well your- sure naltrexone is yeah blocks the opiate receptors so when you drink you no longer have the euphoric feelings but you never even drank on it so oh I, didn't even- I heard that yeah i heard that and i said well i'm not gonna test this theory yeah you probably didn't even need to be on the naltrexone and listeners i just want to go back to the benzo benzodiazepines they do have a place in the withdrawal from alcohol, specifically under the care of a doctor. Alcohol is one of the most, in fact, probably the most dangerous drug to detoxify from during the detoxification process. You can die from it. And, and benzos are helpful with that. Now, benzos are like Xanax, Valium, there's a Lazar, Lorazepam, something, something like that. And it can be dangerous because there are, they're all like, they're like alcohol in pill format. Um, I actually had my failed suicide attempts on benzos. I think it was a uh, lorazepam. And so just, I just want to be careful. Everybody's journey is different. Like you said, Scott, if you do look to a benzo to detoxify from alcohol, make sure it's done either at a detox facility or only get a couple pills subscribed and make sure you're not drinking on the benzos. And it sounded like you followed, followed the protocol. And for me, that was difficult. Um, and then Selexa, I think is an SSNRI kind of falls in that like antidepressant category, which, yeah. And then you went to naltrexone. Beautiful. And you opened up with your therapist about this stuff and she pointed you in the right direction, but had you not have opened up easy as one, two, three, probably wouldn't have been so easy. Right. And we, you know, before the doctor prescribed that, Benzo, we had a serious, lengthy conversation about the danger of Benzo, the danger of drinking on it. And, you know, ideally, you would medically detox. And especially with, you know, the level of drinking I was at, or else it's life threatening, you know. And so we had a lengthy conversation about it. And good thing we did, because when I was taking that drug, I was not considering abusing it or drinking on it because I knew how serious it was. And, you know, during that first couple months, I was 
scared of AA. I had a second job where I was all by myself in this warehouse assembling bicycles, and I brought in a wireless speaker there, and I would blast your podcast. I would blast the Share podcast. I would blast AA speakers, and I would go there for safety. You know, uh, I would go there at night sometimes, almost all night, when I was having any sort of cravings, and it was a blessing for me. It was a safe zone, if you will. And the naltrexone helped me uh, lift the obsession to drink. And, you know, now I no longer have that second job, but I am immersed in recovery still. I listen to podcasts everywhere I drive or uh, AA speakers, and I go to AA almost every morning at 7.30 just to get my day started. It's my morning medication. And you know, I read at night. I am getting a little better at meditation right now, but uh, that's a work in progress. And I am develop further developing my connection with my higher power. But, you know, the bottom line is this has been the most important and most difficult decision I have made. And I have to treat it that way. And, you know, I was sober before and I know that I can do it, but I know how easy it was to quit it. And that was mainly from losing connection. So I'm staying very connected this time. You know, during this sober process, I did what's called harm reduction therapy. I've knocked out a bunch of stuff, including nicotine and THC on this journey, one at a time, you know, slowly. And right now I am on Chantix. And that that dosage will end in a little over a month. And then I will be hopefully drug and alcohol free completely. Yeah, Scott, I want to comment on the harm reduction strategy that you mentioned, because harm reduction is more practical than what we imagine when we get sober, we quit everything. So when we quit drinking, we want to quit drinking. We want to quit smoking. We want to quit sugar. We want to quit ice cream. We want to quit all this stuff at once. But it can be such a shock to the system that sometimes people email me and they say, hey, look, I want to quit smoking and drinking at the same time. What do you think? Say, well, always listen to the body. But you can put some strategy behind this and do one at a time. And get six months away from the alcohol and then tackle the next thing. In fact, I just did one a couple episodes ago. It said when to tackle the next addiction or the next the next obstacle in life that you're buttoned up against. So harm reduction is is actually more of what it looks like in the real world. Is we're constantly downgrading addictions, right? You don't want to cut. You don't want to quit coffee, cigarettes, nicotine, alcohol, sugar all at once. Your body it's it's going to be a major shock to your system. And so share some insight you've learned on this journey when it's been taken just one thing at a time. So the first time I got sober, I went to rehab and I quit everything and I relied heavily on nicotine. I was a cigarette smoking fool. And, you know, when I couldn't smoke cigs like at work or something, I would chew, chew tobacco. So this time around, I wanted to, you know, maybe lean on nicotine initially, but I wanted to oust it from my life because, you know, just like alcohol, I do not want to be a slave to anything. And nicotine is a great slave driver. So, you know, I just quit, you know, after alcohol, it was chew, then it was wax and live resin, smoking and vaping THC, then all THC, nicotine vape, 
then it was naltrexone, then it was cigarettes, and now it was all forms of nicotine. And these were like in monthly increments. And the whole time I was seeing a therapist, and at this point, I am honest with my therapist. There's no more lying. And, you know, she guided me. I, you know, in between th between therapy and AA, I have so much to fall on if I'm struggling that, you know, that's the only reason that this was successful. So now, you know, of course, I want to work on food and coffee and meditating and but the beautiful thing that i've realized is that i'm never ever going to do this perfect i'm never i'm no angel no saint but i have the rest of my life to work on it progress not perfection i know it's cheesy you hear it all the time but that was like heaven sent when i heard that you know there's no way i'm going to have the ideal recovery day every day but as long as I'm putting right foot, left foot, next right thing, then I know I'm doing the right thing. And it's it's a slow process, but I don't expect this to happen overnight, luckily. I mean, I, I could have that cooked up in my head, but it's never going to happen that way. So I'm just taking my time. And I heard in the meeting today, right foot, left foot, serenity prayer, right foot, left foot, serenity prayer. And that I thought was really cool. Yeah, Scott, I loved your list of things you've tackled. It's incredibly impressive, and I'm sure there are more things on the horizon like you mentioned. But I also want to throw out there and, and touch base to get your opinion on this, that there is no top of the mountain, and this is built in there by design. And I fell victim to or fell in the trap of as soon as I get this amount of time away from alcohol, then I quit this, then I quit that, off ADD meds, off antidepressants, then I will be happy. And then once you get to those, you're like, wait a second, I can either double down and keep finding things that I need to remove from my life and then I can be happy or I can choose to be happy in the only moment there's ever been with the capabilities of being happy, which is now. So where are you at with this? Are you, are you saying that like, are you finding that like you're able to find peace in this moment or is it some of it attached to like when I accomplish these goals? Oh, I, I think I am at the place where I can find peace in this moment. I, you know, carry my, I call it my real dumb journal with me every day. And when I do something real dumb, I write it down in there and I review it at night and I'll meditate and pray on that. And it's, it's so amazing how this, how we are the lucky ones in that doing these steps and concentrating on your life and, and furthering your life we are able to get to a better spot and look at life differently. And, you know, I just finished working the fourth step with my sponsor, and that was a huge turning point as well with me. Tomorrow we are going to do our pre-fifth step meeting. I don't think we're going to do the fifth step tomorrow, but we're going to talk about doing it. And working with other people is the key to this. It really is like connection, uh, going to Bozeman and meeting Everybody that I kind of knew online, but, you know, hugging them and talking personally with them. And it's just so powerful. And, and, it's, and it's the exact opposite of what I would do normally. Before I quit drinking, I heard you on a podcast to draw a little dot 
on a piece of paper and that's you. Draw a circle around the dot and that's your comfort zone. And then draw a dot outside of the circle and that's recovery. And that, I drew that and I have it on a post-it note right on my, near my bed. So I see it every morning and I realize that everything that feels uncomfortable, I better get on it right away because that's probably where I need to go. That could be the value bomb of this whole episode. You even dropped it earlier is if it scares you, that's where you got to go. And that's what I'm pushing through in life right now. Writing the book, Scott, was like one of the scariest things I've ever done. And I signed up for it unconsciously because I knew it would be a great tool for me to push past this fear. Putting on sober trips, these itineraries, these these retreats, these meetups, they're scary. but And they, they scare me too. And that's where I need to go. So listeners... Listen to the voice that says, I don't want to go there because it's scary. Check the voice like you've checked the unconscious voice, Larry. Check it and say, you know what? This is where I need to go. Scott, I've loved this interview. And um, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you can answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I am ready, Paul. Number one, what is a light bulb moment you've had on this journey? I think when I finally surrendered and by that i mean that i accepted the fact that i am an alcoholic and a drug addict and not that's not a bad thing because i don't have to be a drunk alcoholic i can be a sober alcoholic and you know surrender i think that was the biggest light bulb where things really started to progress and really the cravings kind of went away when I surrendered to that fact. And that took a lot of courage and wisdom. All that in the serenity prayer. The serenity prayer is a giant light bulb for me every morning. So, And Scott, what's a memorable moment a life without alcohol has given you? I would have to say that panel in Montana. That was, I'll never forget how light or airy I felt after that. I don't know. I said a few things and saw some light bulbs go off maybe. And I was, some people hugged me and thanked me afterwards. And like I said, I went to my car to try to hide after that. And I just lost it. That was one of the best moments I've had so far. And just like this morning after chairing the meeting, a bunch of people came up to me, hugged me, thanked me for sharing this, that, and the other thing. And it feels so good to help people and we're up against a big monster and we need all the help we can give each other. So Scott, that was also a memorable moment in my journey. So thank you very much. And earlier you mentioned the bear on your back that if you poke it, it's going to become a big bear. And Scott, we're going to get that bear off your back. Yeah. Trust me. We're going to do this in Asia and we're going to do it after that. But we're going to get that bear off your back. I'm getting this dialed in and I'm figuring out how to do this. And it, it has to be fun. It has to be fun. So we are going to do this. You ready for it? I am so ready for it. For sure. And, you know, I know, I know where this journey takes me. I've been here before. And I'm not coming back from this time. I know it's dangerous to say, but I'm done you know, I had I met my quota. I had a good run. It was fun, but I'm really done. 48 years old. I don't need 
to party anymore. I don't know how much more simple to put it, but I want to party sober for the rest of my life. I mean, I've got right now four recovery tattoos that are pretty visible to me at all times. I got a recovery license plate. I got some recovery shirts. I am out to smash this stigma. I recently came out on Facebook and kind of shared my story, and you would not believe the outpouring of love and response I got. It was absolutely mind-blowing. And a few, few people have reached out me, to me privately who are struggling, and we have talked. It is just an amazing journey, and I'm ready to go full force on this. And if you want to help rip that bear off my back, I'm, I'm, wait, I'm ready. Yeah, we're going to go on some cool pathways out there in Asia, right? Not like geographically, but we're going to go in some really cool directions. Um, We're going to put the body and mind in an environment where the healing can be done itself, where we're not thinking ourselves through it. I cannot wait. Um, All right, a couple more questions. What's your favorite alcohol-free drink? I like to go see movies at this place, Alamo, by my house, and they serve food and drink, and I order a raspberry italian cream soda and a topo chico oh and I, and I drink half of the cream soda and then i just start pouring topo chico in there and it is absolutely my favorite non-alcoholic drink yeah we are so creative i love it what's <laughs> on your bucket list in an alcohol-free life i want to be a sponsor and i want to help newcomers at my meeting they come in a lot and you see the look in their eyes of trepidation, fear, you know, terror. And like I said earlier, there is nothing like helping somebody along on this journey because it's not easy. And it's been the most difficult thing I've ever done. So I needed help. I received that help. I want to turn that around and help people. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? You know, there's no good day to start this except today and right now. And one of my favorite quotes I heard before I started, I'll give you two of them. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. That's Henry Ford. And I'm not sure who said this, but the only thing I can control today is my attitude and my effort. Those two quotes really helped me get started, and yeah, that's it. Scott, before we depart, give listeners your own customized that you might need to ditch the booze if line. You might need to ditch the booze if you have a little bit left in a whiskey bottle and you decide to try to drink it all at once, so you slam it down and you throw up in your mouth and you swallow that and you keep drinking the bottle and finish it. Sorry, that was a little graphic. Goodness gracious, you are the man. Nice job, Scott. (laughs) Man, I have loved this interview so much. I cannot wait to kick it with you in person and about 30 other lovely recovery souls who hopefully we're all listening right now on a bus. Let's just put our hands up right now if we're on a bus listening right now. (laughs) Here we go. This is the best moment we can ever live in right now. Love you, Scott. Thanks, buddy. Love you too, Paul. Take care. I am currently recording this episode in Bondi Beach, Australia. Yeah, I took a 17-hour flight from Houston. So I went from Oaxaca to Houston, had about a 10-hour layover there, then at 8.30 p.m., 
got on the plane, traveled all night for 17 hours of darkness, and arrived in Bondi Beach. First off, it took me a couple of days to deal with the jet lag. But this morning, I went to an AA meeting. Now, in my first 90 days, I crushed the 90 and 90. In fact, I probably did 110, 115, maybe 120 meetings in my first 90 days. AA was a big part of my journey the first year and probably the first two years. After that, I somewhat went in a different pathway, especially um, this last year. It's been a spiritual pathway, shall we say. But AA is always such a good way to meet other people who no longer drink. So I found out after a quick internet search that there's a meeting about a five minute walk away from me. I walk up there and I say to some people, I said, hey, I'm looking for an AA meeting. And the guy goes, yeah, this is the place. Let me show you. And right then I knew I was with my tribe. The meeting was fantastic. So regardless of what your sentiments about AA are, whether you don't believe in a higher power, you don't feel that you are in a religious spot in your life. And let me tell you right now, AA is not a religious program. Um, and in fact, I am so sick of getting emails saying um, how AA isn't for them. And they, they, they continue with this long list of reasons why AA isn't for them. And they follow up. And this is why I've never been to an AA meeting. Okay, so just double check all that right there. If you've never been to an AA meeting, you should probably go before emailing me reasons why AA isn't for you. So think about that one. And it took me four days to find an AA meeting down here, not because I just couldn't find one, but the jet lag crushed me. I'll be honest with you with that one. It took a couple of days just to feel normal again. But I'm kind of kicking myself in the rear end for not finding this meeting sooner. And then after the meeting, I asked this gentleman, I said, hey, we're having a meetup tomorrow at this location at the Bondi Surf Cafe. Can you show me? And he walked me, walked me to the location. We chatted for another half hour. And uh, I think I'm going to meet up tonight um, with some of the people that I met at this AA meeting. So such a great way to meet people. And as I mentioned, AA recently hasn't been a big part of my recovery portfolio but I highly recommend giving it a try. If you've yet to go to a meeting, please do so. And if you go to one meeting, it doesn't jive well with you, go to another one. Check out several until one does jive with you. At least use it as a way to build that in-person community. Recovery Elevator, go big, because eventually we'll all go home. It all starts from the inside out. I love you guys. <laughs>